This episode of Trek Geeks is brought to you exclusively by Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Starships Collection. Get the Enterprise D for only $4.95 when you sign up today at st-starships.com slash trekgeeks. Hi, this is Nana Visitor, Major Kira Norris from Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little show this side of the Gamma Quadrant, the Trek Geeks Podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. Listening post orbiting Bajor and Podfleet Command. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Trek Geeks, your independent Star Trek podcast, the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. We're thrilled to be here today. This is episode number 135, and I am your co host, Bill Smith. You know, we love getting together with you all and talking Star Trek every week. It's some of the most fun we have each and every week. And of course, by we, I do mean my co host and I. If he were ever a member of the Maquis, they would have abandoned him on a planet quicker than than you could imagine, because he's not very strategic and he's he's not very Maquis like. He's the kind of aimless and sort of you know singular focused Dan Davidson. Dan, sorry about that, buddy. I guess it's back to the Nibarite Alliance for you. Wow, very nice reference. Little way of the warrior there. I'm thinking. See, I remember Trek Geeks and Stump the Geek. So, yeah. <laughs> I, didn't remember, that should be, I didn't remember it then. <laughs> see, that's what I was just going to say. You didn't remember it when it counted, but we're going to bring up the Nibrite Alliance as often as we can, buddy. Thank you. Yes. No, it's great to be here. I've been looking forward to this discussion for quite a while here on episode 135. And uh, thank you for that wonderfully boring introduction. I really appreciate it, Bill. Well, it was only befitting a man of your stature, I assure mm, you, my friend. I knew that was coming. I walked right into it. Rake, <laughs> wham. Thank you. Wham. Step right <laughs> on the garden rake. Buddy, this week we're going to do our first three-part examination. And we're going to focus on the dynamic of Michael Eddington versus Benjamin Sisko. And the first of the episodes is really just a fantastic entry in Deep Space Nine. It is really a fantastic entry. You know, we've seen Edit- Eddington before this episode, but this was really what started what we like to call... The Eddington arc, 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 arc. And and I am looking forward to the discussion. It's a great, oh my gosh, episode. There's a lot of things that you don't expect, especially towards the end. We're going to get into all that stuff. And I've been looking forward to this uh, three-part conversation for quite some time. That's right. Episode one that we're looking at tonight is For the Cause. And then in the remaining two weeks, next week and the week after... We'll look at uh, For the Uniform, which is just oh, so intense. Yes. And then, of course, the, the last episode, which is, is that, oh, my God. Blaze I'm having a total of glory. That's right. of glory. <laughs> I, I totally had a mind blank just then. Oh, my word. That's right. I had um, a mind blank because I forgot to say that we were talking about uh, For the Uniform. So 
Or for, or the, for cause. the cause. For the cause, yeah. even. Even that one, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dan, your cause right now is to tell the good folks listening how they might be able to get in touch with us and remind us of all these episode titles, since we are obviously <laughs> challenged in that regard. Very challenging. It would be my pleasure, sir. It's uh, actually easier than ever before to get in touch with us. Head right on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact, and there you'll find a variety of ways to send us your thoughts. And and hey, we want to hear from you, so please uh, check it out. You can leave us a voicemail. You can Skype chat us. You can fill out the contact form and leave us a message about anything that might be on your Star Trek mind. Uh, plus, don't forget that you can click the big blue button over on the right-hand side of the website, and you can leave us a voice message using SpeakPipe. And also, we talk about it every single week. I never get bored of it, Bill. Uh, We'd love it if every one of you listening would join our official Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. There are tons of great things going on there all the time. Star Trek talk, Star Trek picks, contests, polls. And hey, we got something new. It is the Friday Commute Celebration where Bill and I do a weekly lip sync, especially just for our campers. So check it out. And plus another bonus. Oh yeah. You'll also get early access to episodes of the Trek Geeks podcast. So win, win, right? So to join the group, head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash camp Kittimer. And uh, one of our wonderful admins, Heather, Jackie, or Dan will let you write in to join in on all the fun, but please remember that any comments or messages you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. Bill. That is correct, Dan. Thank you very much. You know, this this podcast is infinitely better when we hear from you. So please send us your thoughts or, uh, or even just to say hi. We'd really appreciate it. Uh, Dan, you and I have spent a lot of time appearing on the podcasts of lots of friends of ours lately. And we figured it'd be good to give everybody a heads up as to some of these appearances because um, uh, we've racked up three or four and counting, I might add. Yeah, it's always a great honor to be invited onto these other podcasts. We're family. We love Star Trek. We love talking to other people about Star Trek. And it's always it's always really special to me when someone asks if we can come on. And uh, I had the honor uh, of being on Warp 5 uh, just a couple of weeks ago with our good friend Brandon Shemutala. And uh, we talked some Enterprise, and uh, we had a great time. I, I got to say, we had a really uh, fun conversation. We talked uh, the sh- the Stormfront two-parter um, and the episode after, which is the my- – it's escaping, I think, home, I think was the title of it. But uh, home, yep. yeah. Great, uh, great enterprise conversation. And uh, also just today, uh, we had a special um, or or mission log had a special supplemental episode drop, which I was very, very proud to be a part of um, in regards to captive pursuit and what it means to me. And and I I can't thank uh, John and Ken enough for inviting me on the show to talk about it. Um, I, I, I just, and and I'm not speechless because I'm talking, but it it makes me feel speechless when uh, we have a conversation like we did, uh, can't thank them enough, but, uh, not just me. It's not just about me, Bill, even though you like to try to make fun of me and say that it is, there's some good stuff that you have been on recently as well. Hasn't there? Oh, there absolutely is. And before I move on to my stuff, I just do want to say about your appearance on Mission Log. We, I have to echo your sentiments. We can't thank John and Ken enough. You know, we've long thought of them as as inspirations for us, and and as kind of the gold standard in Star Trek podcasting. And for them to reach out to you to to talk about your story about Captive Pursuit, which was also our episode one hundred fourteen, and why it is so very significant in your life. 
um, uh, is it's something I hope everyone will take the time to listen to. So um, that said, I myself have actually had the chance to appear on Trek FM's Standard Orbit. And that's significant for me because it was one of the first two podcasts I ever listened to, the other being Mission Log. And they are kind of what gave me the inspiration that, hey, I'm, we might be able to do this podcast thing. Um, so it was, uh, it was really great for me. Uh, big thanks to, uh, to Ken and, uh, and Zach over at Standard Oprah because Zach was, was out of town. So filling in was, uh, was our good friend Haley Stoddart, who has just been named, Dan, a co-host permanently of Trek FM Standard Orbit. So we're very excited that the creator of Trek Tuesdays is now a, a member of the, the podcast club, if you will. What fantastic news that was to come across uh, over the weekend or late last week. You know, she's been such an integral part of Camp Kittimer and has been such a big supporter of of Trek Geeks. And by the way, we haven't had her on Trek Geeks yet. I think we might need to do something about that now that she's become all famous and stuff. Uh, so we're going to have to we're going to have to talk about that at a later time. But congratulations to Haley. Um, that's great, great news. We should talk to the guy who does scheduling for Trek Geeks and, and make that mm-hmm. happen. Yeah, I'll see if they can send I think his name email. is um, Davidson. Hmm. Um, hmm. Yeah, I'll look it up and I'll send it to you. Thank you. I appreciate um, that. But yeah, on Standard Orbit, we were talking about Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, and I was asserting the position that the movie really is terrible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because it is. And let's be honest. It's, it's not, not great. a great movie. Not great. Not great it's at all. It's still better than Nemesis or Generations, but it's, uh, it's not great. And then lastly, <laughs> this past weekend, I recorded an episode of of Trek Profiles, which is one of the brand new podcasts from the Tricorder Transmissions Network, uh, hosted by our good friend John Krikorian. Uh, It's not going to be released probably until June. He's releasing one episode a month, and uh, I am going to be episode four. And it's essentially an examination of of Trek fans and why they love Star Trek. So it's it's a very personal um, interview. It's a a very... um, focused on my fandom so uh when it comes out we'll definitely let people know all about it that's and, fantastic uh, yeah i imagine you'll get hit up for one of these soon and you're gonna have a great time talking with john i would be honored uh to be on the show and and talk about my fandom um i think it's great that you doing that man i can't wait to hear your story i've heard it but hearing it in a podcast type of audience uh, i'm really looking forward to it so that's uh that's something that will be coming out when did you say that'd be coming out uh in june in theory okay. um Episode three is dropping, uh, I want to say, in early May. Okay. So um, I should be in early June. Episode three is actually going to be Amy Nelson. Ah, so, I'm, yeah. I'm going to have to listen to that one too now. And the first two episodes were Barry DeFord, our, our good friend, and also mm-hmm. uh, the aforementioned Haley Stoddard. So um, lots of great Trek people uh, telling the stories of their fandom. So it's definitely a podcast worth checking out over at the Tricorder Transmissions. I think that's fantastic. Also, I do want to mention, I, I, I unfortunately, and I for, forgive me, I mentioned, I forgot to mention, Brandy Ticola was the person that we were on Warp Five with uh, with Brandon the night we were talking Enterprise, and we had a great time. So, uh, Brandy, I'm sorry I didn't say it right away, but I'm sending you some love. <laughs> Dan, it's time for the news from treknews.net. No, I can't do it that high. Hold on. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Spanning the Alpha Quadrants. Dun, 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 dun. For all the news on all the Star Treks, yo. Dun, 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 dun. It's treknews.net. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> you want a second take on that one? Dun, 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 dun. Cold.
<laughs> Thank you, Peter Brady, online at treknews.net. And Dan, up first, we've had a bunch of emails come in uh, for about our last episode, the Stump the Geek. And uh, and one of the questions that was included about, or it's actually the bonus about the first officers of the Enterprise D. Yes, a beautifully brutal question, I must say. One of your best. I really, you know, I didn't, I didn't get them all. And I didn't get any points as a result, but the question was so awesome. I can't really be upset about it. It was a good question, my man. But uh, the uh, question was to name all of the first officers of the Enterprise D. And after we went through the list, several people contacted us through various means to say, hey, how come uh, Kieran McDuff wasn't included in that list of Enterprise D first officers? And Bill, I think you got a very good explanation as to why he's not on that list. Absolutely. Well, first, we thank everybody for trying to keep us honest. We understand that, you know, in the episode conundrum, there is somebody named uh, theoretically Kieran McDuff, who we are told is the first officer, even though we know he's not. He is actually an alien assuming a human form and Kieran McDuff does not actually exist. So in, in formulating the question, we wanted actual first officers of the Enterprise, and Kieran McDuff was not one. You know, if we'd had the ability to ask Starfleet Command in that moment who was the first officer of the Enterprise, they would have said William T. Riker, regardless of whether Riker knew that or not. Mm-hmm. So that's why McDuff was not a valid answer for that particular question. I totally get why people, you know, brought him up. I mean, it's a fantastic episode, it's a great character. Um, but really he had commandeered the enterprise and was an alien in control of the ship saying he was the first officer. And that's not the same thing. I like the explanation. I'll accept it. And I just wish that we had gotten to see more of that alien race in later episodes. Cause it was pretty, uh, pretty cool looking. Yeah. That, that, and really the, the impact of that could have been really far reaching, you yeah. know? That could have had severe repercussions for the Federation. That would have been interesting to see, but um, maybe that'll come up in a novel sometime. You never I'm know. I'm going to talk to Dayton about that after he writes his novel about how he has that video game and you don't. I'm going to write that down. Maybe we should write that novel. <laughs> well, I Just like that, that idea. out there. Okay, let's do it. Novel Geeks. That'll be the third podcast. Yeah. Typey, typey. <laughs> <laughs> typey, typey. <laughs> Dan, next in news, we have a whole bunch of announcements regarding Star Trek Discovery, if you can believe that. D- Wait a minute. Aren't they like on season break, Bill? <laughs> no, Dan. They're not. Actually, Tell me more. Well, actually, as we drop this episode, or as we record this episode, I should say, season two begins filming right now up in Toronto. They're filming right now, April 16th, 2018. Oh my God. I'm so excited. We got to watch Doug Jones shave his head uh, in preparation for season two filming on Twitter this weekend. But yeah, there's all kinds of other news. Um, as we mentioned on discovering Trek just last week, which you can hear on this very podcast channel, if you so choose, uh, Anson Mount has been cast to play captain Christopher Pike in season two of discovery. And additionally, comedian Tig Notaro has been cast to play chief engineer Denise Reno of the USS Hiawatha during season two. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, And you can see Tig in her Amazon series called One Mississippi. 
I like this. I like this. I'm, I'm not going to start singing. That's okay. Um, <laughs> also, Bill, as has been announced uh, recently, Alex Kurtzman has been lined up to direct the season two premiere. So it is sure to be uh, quite the episode. And in additional directing news, which came out over the weekend, Jonathan Frakes, our good friend, we were just talking about Riker. He has been set to direct two episodes of season two, and he let a couple of things drop when uh, he was talking about this. We are going to see a young Spock in season two of Discovery via flashbacks with a young Michael Burnham. So that should be interesting. We've been talking about whether or not we want to see Spock in season two, and it looks like we will, but maybe not in the way we thought. So that's very, very cool. Um, We're looking forward to additional cast announcements all through the summer, and you can bet that we will bring them here to you during our new segment on the Trek Geeks Podcast, your independent Star Trek podcast. Wow, that was – you had a whole bunch of stuff there. (laughs) You navigated it all like a pro. Great job, buddy. I am so psyched to hear the news about Frakes. Um, The episode he directed was fantastic. And honestly, I'm kind of glad we're going to see some young Spock flashbacks. I I think that will give us some more insight as to Michael Burnham. And I hope we don't see adult Spock. I'm going to be on the record about that here on Trek Geeks as I was on Discovering Trek. Mm -hmm. I I, kind of hope he's not there. I hope that's a central part of the plot. So um we'll see how do you feel about that i i have to agree the more i initially i was like wow it'd be kind of neat because if memory serves the nimoy family had given permission to create a digital version if they wanted to sort of like they did with uh governor talk in in rogue one and i'm like oh that'd be kind of cool but the more i think about it nothing can replace leonard nobody can replace leonard as the uh, as the prime universe spock um, so if they do it through flashbacks, I'm cool with that. Maybe they have him, but you never really see him. They talk about him. Maybe you see some legs walking across the bridge, something like that. But let TOS be TOS and let Discovery, which has already cemented a great showing in season one, let them have their own stories in season two and take off from there. I got to say, I'm so psyched about Jonathan Frakes because the cast has all talked about how great it was to work with him in that season one episode. So to have him in two more for season two, it's going to be fantastic. I cannot wait for season two. Well, and I'm psyched about Anson Mount as, as oh. Chris Pike. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's only so much they can, well, you mentioned, you know, let, let's let them make this their own. They're kind of playing in the TOS sandbox a little with Pike. Um, it'll just depend on, on how much of that happens. Right. Right. So, but I, I think this is great casting. I think that he's going to do a great job as Pike and I, I can't wait to see the stories that they've, they've cooked up for us. I think it's going to be fantastic. I think so too. One of the things I hope to see if they can fit it in correctly with the timeline is the accident with the Delta race. That would be great somehow to see in discovery, just so we have a visual of what actually happened to him, but we'll see. We will see. Dan, in other news, it looks like the official Star Trek podcast is no more. Yeah, this was a a little bit of a surprise. Engage, the official Star Trek podcast, after 94 episodes, uh, host Jordan Hoffman announced on the show last week that Engage had been canceled. Uh, It appears that CBS decided to sell uh, the CBS radio podcast. portion of the company to Entercom, which in turn decided to make a business decision and cancel Engage and other podcasts uh, that were on the Play It network. So it was a business decision. Uh, Jordan stressed that it had nothing personal to do with him or any of the people that uh, worked on the show. Um, it, it was a surprise. Um, we've talked a little bit on our show that um, we haven't really listened to it all that much. I've listened to an episode here and there, but uh, uh, 
it, it was it was a surprise that's for sure especially the official podcast it is um you know and but these things happen right anytime mm-hmm. you've got a major corporate entity that enters right. into a field like this that they don't necessarily always play in sometimes decisions like this are made and i think it's a little short-sighted of intercom um perhaps mm-hmm. you know they, they just don't see the value in podcasting and that's unfortunate for the people who listen to engage it is if you were a listener of Engage and you're looking for other Star Trek content, let me assure you there are lots of wonderful non-official podcasts out there, and you can find them incredibly easy by searching iTunes or even in Google just for Star Trek podcasts. Yep, absolutely. Uh, we mentioned a, a few of them just a few minutes ago. They're all wonderful. That's the great thing about Star Trek is there's so much content out there to talk about. There are tons of podcasts. There are a lot of great ones out there, and we certainly recommend people check them out. Yeah, they're all they're published by fans that, you know, use their passion to to talk about this thing they love, kind of like we do. And, you know, uh, people are are drawn to different podcasts for different reasons and I recommend that if you did listen to, you know, Engage, there's there's so many out there that you can try on and and see if you like and um and you you can find something that that, you know, gets you through your Star Trek fix. <laughs> if here. you know that's a yeah. So um lots of podcasts and um and we hope that you'll take the time to uh, to explore a good many of them because so many of them are fantastic. Well said. And there's one called Trek Geeks that's pretty good too, I think, too. That one's okay. The co-host is a bit of a bore though. Oh uh, well um, no the, the host host is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, the host is awesome. The 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 co-host oh. uh, we've we've received an email. He's boring. Mm-hmm. Um Dan, some new Star Trek Deep Space Nine 25th anniversary swag has made its way to our quadrant, sir. It is always good to hear about new Star Trek Deep Space Nine uh, merchandise. And yep, we're celebrating the 25th anniversary of DS9 all year long. And CBS has partnered with Amazon and is offering a slew of new design t-shirts. So here's the interesting catch, though. According to treknews.net, you must have a Prime membership in order to be able to see and get these shirts. I found that very interesting. Um, designs include schematics of DS9, the Ferengi rules of acquisition, cast photos, other emblems, a whole bunch of stuff. So so if you are a Premier member, go check it out. If you're not a Premier member, hey, get a Premier membership. It's worth it because you get Star Trek stuff, right, Bill? Well, you know, I use Prime all the time, mm-hmm. you know, because it, it saves on shipping costs for so many things and you get things in two days. Absolutely. You know, it's it's it, it's worth it just for Christmas shopping alone. I mean, the money we save doing that is is worth not going to the mall and trying to find parking. So, oh, Amen. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I was taking a look at some of that stuff there and I may be making some purchases. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> oh, uh, extra large for me. Thank you. Um, oh, you meant f- you want me to get something for you. I didn't say oh. that. You said that. I said I'm going to be making some purchases. I didn't say they were for you. Okay. Maybe they're for me. All right. Selfish jerk. Wow. <laughs> 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 Dan, we are pleased and incredibly proud to welcome Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Starships collection as our first ever sponsor on the Trek Geeks podcast. 
I, I don't even know how, if I can express how excited I am. A lot of, it, it takes a lot to get me excited, Bill. I don't know, maybe hearing that you're not going into work, so I don't have to commute with you on a particular day. That gets me very excited, <laughs> but nothing like this. I have loved these Eagle Moss products for a long time. They're officially authorized by CBS Studio, Studios. It's called the official Star Trek Starships Collection. It's only available from Eagle Moss Collections. And we are now um, having them sponsor the Trek Geeks podcast. We're very excited about this. This is the ultimate collection of vessels from across the entire Star Trek universe, from TOS in the original series, TNG, DS9, Voyager, all the way through the movies, including Star Trek Beyond. So uh, it's, <laughs> it's great, great news. And uh, as you can tell, I'm pretty excited about it. You know, you and I have seen these ships. You know, we've we've seen... You know, vendors selling them in Vegas. Mm-hmm. You know, we've we've seen some of the one-off things that that we've received as gifts, and the quality of these ships is just—it's it, amazing. You know, each of these models, Dan, is made of die-cast metal and high-quality ABS materials, and then you know they hand paint each of these models with reference to the actual CG models used in production. And, and as, me- as often as possible, they actually use photos of the original studio models when those are available. But, you know, you get one of these things in your hand and they just, they're amazing to look at. It's like they came right off your screen and into your hand. You know, each of these ships also comes with a display base, which is really kind of great because the ship sort of sets in there nicely and there's not a hole in the ship to stick Mm -hmm. it in. And there's also a collector's magazine featuring behind the scenes info, original design sketches, and a breakdown of the technology on board. And these magazines are printed just beautifully in full color on this really beautiful paper, Dan. It, they're really great. Uh, you uh, welcomed me to my new job with a cube gift of the original TOS Enterprise large model, and it is gorgeous. These small ones are absolutely beautiful, uh, and it's very easy to start getting them. You can subscribe to the collection today to receive your first ship, the USS Enterprise NCC-1701D, for only $4.95 with free shipping, Bill. Um, wow. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, additional models. And I got to tell you, there's already over 100, and they're amazing. And some that you wouldn't even think of, they're there available for you. Um, they'll ship twice monthly, and they're delivered directly to your door. So before you know it, you're going to have your own fleet, and you can then, Bill, you know, send your ships to us in a picture <laughs> on Twitter because we want to see them, man. Oh, we really do. We want to. In fact, people should use the hashtag send your ships <laughs> when they post their photos of their tiny starships. But, you know, Dan, also don't forget, as a subscriber, you're entitled to free gifts worth over ninety dollars. Hmm. And of course, I mean, you can cancel your subscription at any time. And full details can be found at st-starships.com slash trekgeeks. And don't forget the fans who'd like to purchase their favorite ships individually can certainly do that too for just a few dollars more either online at shop.egomoss.com or at your local comic book shop. So excited about this. So remember, folks, to subscribe, that's st-starships.com slash trekgeeks. And we thank Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Starships collection for sponsoring this episode of Trek Geeks. Dan, we gathered this week to talk about, well, sort of round one in the Cisco versus Eddington saga. And that is, of course, the Deep Space Nine episode for the cause. Man, what a great episode this is. It's a great episode. We've been wanting to do this for a long time. We've talked about it several times. And I don't know, man, it just seems that everything's been 
building to this. And so I'm looking forward to the discussion. <laughs> you know, that was really good. Thank you. Um, there, like a lot of Deep Space Nine episodes, there were a lot of layers here. And it's really evident with this story because, you know, at the heart of it is a betrayal of Benjamin Sisko. And I don't necessarily mean by Michael Eddington. That's right. Mm -hmm. You know, you go through, you know, three acts of this episode, almost four acts of this episode, thinking that really the quandary here is the fact that Cassidy Yates has been smuggling for the Maquis. And you think that that's really going to be the big reveal of the episode, only to find out. Oh, Oh, no, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) There's more. Yeah. And, you know, I got to hand it to the writers uh, of the show and to the gentleman who plays Eddington, because as I said earlier, he's seen in other episodes of the series before, before for the cause. And even through this episode, you got no idea what he's about to do. And when it actually happens and he stuns Kira, stunning, right? I mean, it's just one of those oblique moments that we've seen from time to time in Deep Space Nine. And and like you said, Ben's already going through enough with what's happening with Cassidy. And then this gets thrown at him from out of nowhere. And it's just it's just magic. Well, you know, Ken Marshall, who plays Eddington, you know, it's hard to believe that Eddington's only in nine episodes of Deep Space Nine. I know. You know, yep. I mean, but he's also in the movie Krull, which is a fantastic, horrible movie. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it is. I mean, let's be honest about this. He's also in, you know, one of the epic miniseries of the 1980s, Marco Polo, mm-hmm. where he played the, the title character. I remember my parents watching that in the 80s, and, and they just they absolutely loved it. It was an eight-part show, and they watched every single episode. I'm just going to say it just like that so you understand how <laughs> they watched every single episode. Nice. And then when he turned up in Deep Space Nine... I thought his role was very interesting as a foil for Odo. Yes, absolutely. There's this guy from Starfleet Security who's automatically going to set, you know, Odo ill at ease. And they really played that up front in the search part one and part two. Oh, yeah. Very. I mean, I'm a, Odo's my favorite character of the series or, or one of the fa- my favorites. And to see him put in this uncomfortable situation right away. And, you know, he's been on the station since before the Federation even was there as the quote unquote constable. And now all of a sudden this, this Yahoo from Starfleet's going to come in and he's taking over. And is even though they say they're going to be working together, you know what they're going to be doing. It makes it very tough for Odo. And like you said, Ken Marshall does a great job in all of the episodes that he's in portraying Eddington, but it really takes off to a new level with what happens in this episode here. Well, you know, Cisco trusts him implicitly because he's Starfleet, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he proves himself to be more than a capable officer. You know, he he adds value. He eventually finds a way to work with Odo, mm-hmm. you know, and their 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 mindsets and their their modus operandi kind of line up after a while when they realize that, you know, each of them really does have the other's best interests at heart and he, he becomes trusted. Yeah. And that's really what makes this betrayal, you know, really kind of horrible for Cisco. It would be just as bad if, if one of the other senior staff had betrayed him, but here's this guy who he let in, you know, right. he, he was assigned to deep space nine and Cisco let him in. And then this happens. You just said it a minute ago. Odo even starts to trust him. The yeah. scenes in this episode where they talk about how they've been working together and they've got this idea that possibly Cassidy is involved with Maquis smuggling. 
you see that connection that they work well together. Odo does not look nearly as uncomfortable around Eddington as he does around other people of the senior staff that he's been working with even longer than with Eddington. So I thought that relationship, that's another area of a relationship that we never really got to see is what did that do to Odo? You know, he yeah. was uncomfortable at first and then, okay, he came came around and they worked together and then boom, there's this betrayal. We never really saw how that affected him if it did at all, but I can't imagine it didn't. Oh, I, I can't imagine it didn't either. Yeah. Uh, let's So let's exist in a vacuum for a second. Let's pretend the other two episodes for the uniform and blaze of glory haven't happened yet. Okay. Let's just take this episode at face value. You know, so like we said, at the heart of this episode, there is the betrayal of Benjamin Sisko by Cassidy Yates, mm-hmm. where he discovers that she's been helping the Maquis. Do you think that Eddington purposefully arranged for it to be Cassidy simply just to compromise Sisko? Yeah, uh, I, I think so. He's been there long enough to know what's going on and kind of get an idea of the personal lives uh, of the of the people stationed on DS9. So um, seeing how uh, duplicitous and and conniving and and doing things without anybody knowing what's going on and how good he was at doing that. I can certainly see that. Yeah. You know, I, I have to believe that's true, you know, because he had the access, he had the motive, he had the opportunity and, you know, he could pull those strings behind the scenes by feeding information to his Maquis buddies mm-hmm. and then they could engage Cassidy because I mean, let's face it, Cassidy just, you know, took whatever cargo that people wanted to send and moved it from point A to point B. So I, I have to believe that he was instrumental in creating that deception, which is part of the reason why I think ultimately Benjamin can forgive her, to be honest. I, you know, that's a good point. I've always wondered, you know, we saw what happened with this episode and she goes to prison. And when she comes back, it's really like business as usual. It doesn't take long for that that reconnection to take place and for that relationship to continue to blossom. And I think that's a very good um, reason why that happened. She didn't do this. She was played to do this. Uh, she could have made the decision not to, yes, but who knows? There were so many things that we saw Eddington do that we didn't see, I should say. So who's to say that things that we also were not privy to seeing on the episode itself took place to kind of coerce and and steer Cassidy into doing what she did? I, I never really gave it a lot of thought till now, man. And, and that makes perfect sense. You know, I have to believe that, that that's why Cisco is able to welcome Cassidy back and, and get things back on track because I mean, Cassidy Yates is perfect for Benjamin Cisco and they work, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it, it, it took a lot for him to get to that place where he could fall in love again. And then it was taken away from him. And I have to believe that that's because of Eddington, you know, and, and, and his marquee ties. Right. I think I think that the beauty of the way they wrote this character is you didn't have a single inkling before he turned that phaser on Kira that he was anyone other than Starfleet tried and true. Yep. Absolutely. Like I said, it's one of those oblique moments. And one of the things I'm going to get to that in just a second. But when you were talking just now about Cassidy, one of the other things that I like about Ben, and it's something that I've talked about before, I think everybody deserves a second chance. Um, and why not Cassidy? She did something wrong. She paid the price for it. And now she's back getting, uh, her life back together. And Ben's right there to help her with it. I think that's a great part of Cisco's character, but back to Eddington, like you were just saying, 
that's one of the brilliant things about this whole Eddington arc before we get to the three-part arc that we're talking about here. The writers do nothing to indicate in any way, shape, or form that he's doing something other than being a perfect Starfleet security officer. And that's one of the brilliant things about the storytelling in Deep Space Nine. Totally took, I don't think there could have been anybody that expected that to happen when Kira walked in and he just says, I'm going to have to take command of the station. Zap. I mean, it's just, it was just like, what What are you doing? Whoa. It's one of those moments. And it's just awesome. I, I can remember watching this in, in 1996 and just being completely stunned. Yep. I mean, at the point where I, I'm pretty sure my jaw could have physically hit the floor possibly <laughs> when that happened. You know, it was just such a, an amazing moment. And you knew at that point exactly what was going to happen to those industrial size replicators. Mm-hmm. You, know, you knew they were going to the Maquis and you know that that could essentially turn the balance and, and effectively, you know, uh, affect the whole Dominion thing too. Um I have to say that one of my favorite scenes in this particular episode is the scene between Benjamin and Jake, where Benjamin is has got a lot on his mind. You know, mm-hmm. he and Jake are at the table, and Jake's like, you know, trying to you know nudge the old man, and <laughs> you know, saying, "Hey, you look pretty tired." <laughs> Did you see Cassidy last night? Like Jake's trying to be an adult at the table, right? Companionship. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, and it's it's so. It's so enjoyable to see, but it's also so incredibly painful because you know that Cisco at one point is just he could just start yelling at Jake at any given moment because Cisco's a little yelly, yeah, a little bit, (laughs) a little bit. But and I'm sure you're 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 going to be talking about it, or we're about to bring it up. Is then it turns because he does bark at him a little bit, and then he apologizes, and that scene where he grabs Jake's hand and says, "This is important." All the other things can happen, but this is what important is. That's that shows that closeness between uh, uh, Ben and Jake and Avery and Sirach, in my opinion. That's one of the best scenes between the two. I, I agree with you completely. You know, it's it's funny you brought that up because I, I was going to mention that, and it's just it's one of the reasons why I love that relationship so much, and why I think it's it really is pivotal and one of the most important relationships in Star Trek. Um, you know, because you, you get to see, you know, a family that, you know, that really loves one another, not to say that other familial relationships don't in Star Trek, Mm -hmm. but it is always on display with Ben and Jake, even in the simplest of interactions. It's funny when I was on a, a guest on Trek profiles, uh, this past weekend. And I, I mentioned as I usually do that, I think that Benjamin and Jake is the only non-dysfunctional family relationship in all of Star Trek. And the first thing that John Krikorian brought up was, well, what about Wesley and Beverly Crusher? I said, well, Beverly Crusher leaves. Yeah. And she leaves her son with the officers of the enterprise to raise for however long. I mean, at the time she left, we didn't know she was coming back in a year. Nor did she. Because, yeah, nor did she. <laughs> Neither did Gates McFadden. Yeah. But, you know, they, they kept Wesley on the ship because, you know, they, they could. And that, you know, when she came back eventually, there was that, it was not easy between the two of them. Yeah. And then he asked, well, what about Worf and Alexander? I'm like, well, Worf is a terrible father. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Worf didn't want to be a father. And he put that on display in Next Gen more often than not. So you get to this relationship with, with Benjamin and Jake. And my God, man, it is just absolutely beautiful from the pilot all the way through all seven seasons. And you're right. That simple touch just says volumes. He didn't have to say anything. He didn't have to say this is important right? because we knew just from him extending that hand that it meant everything. 
One other thing that I want to bring in is it takes place much further down the road in Deep Space Nine. But another scene that shows a lot between their relationship is when Jake decides to hide and stay on the station when it's taken over by the Dominion. And Benjamin's really pissed, but he recognizes that Jake is grown and can make his own decisions. But you can see the pain that his son's in a dangerous place. It's another great scene between the two, even though it's not with them, so to speak. Oh, yeah. And he he knows he can't sacrifice. Right you know, uh, a ship or other ships just to get one person. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, he, he's, it's torture for him. It truly is. Oh, don't make me sing it. No, don't no. sing it. Okay. One other thing that I would like to say about that scene in this episode is I, I would love to figure out how I can make a coffee with that bread thing to make it foam up and taste good. Like each of Cause that looks <laughs> really awesome. <laughs> it really does look pretty good. I, I wish that I wish there were a recipe for that. Um, <laughs> You know, one of the the other favorite scenes of mine is when Cisco finally comes to the realization that, you know, we're going to have to follow Cassidy. And he does it without a lot of protest. And he gives the order and he just sort of makes it happen. Mm-hmm. And it, it shows that as as painful as Benjamin Cisco might find some of these things, at the end of the day, he's still going to do his duty because he wears that Starfleet uniform. Right. The other thing that I like about that scene is it's a when when we first see it for the first time, let's pretend that we've never seen this episode before. And Eddington is having that discussion with Cisco, even though he's manipulating him perfectly, how he says, you know, I can't guarantee Cassidy Yates' safety. And quite frankly, I don't want that responsibility. That's brilliant because it's playing right into Ben's into Mike Eddington's hands on what he wants Cisco to do and Ben falls for it perfectly but why wouldn't he he has no idea what Eddington's about to do and I think that scene is really a powerful one in this episode well and I think that that's part of what makes the Eddington character so compelling and so fascinating mm-hmm. he's a master manipulator mm-hmm. you know he's in a position of authority not just as a as a lieutenant commander but also as a as a security officer and in this case Starfleet's security officer aboard one of the most strategic bases in that that part of the galaxy you know he uses that authority to cover his actions as a terrorist for for want of a better word right and he plays the senior staff at Deep Space Nine like a fiddle, you know, and, and Cisco in particular, which is why I think that it becomes such a vendetta for mm. Benjamin right. to bring Eddington to justice. Right. Um, you know, we, we get a little bit of that at the end of this episode, certainly not to the extent that you would expect, but Benjamin's hurting from something else, which is why I think he doesn't necessarily start yelling at Eddington. Sure. He just very calmly explains to him uh, where the bear is going to do his business in the woods. Right. And and we'll talk about it next week, but man, the gloves come off and we see Ben do things we would never expect any Starfleet officer, let alone Captain Benjamin Sisko, do what he does. I can't wait to talk about that too. <laughs> I feel like in many ways this episode is setting up that conflict in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're like you said, we're going to talk more about that next week. But at the end of this episode, there is a, a Benjamin Cisco who's been betrayed not once, but twice sure. by people very close to him. And he has to deal with that and reconcile the fact that, that he's let this occur right under his nose. What I think is a great scene also in relation to that is 
you see how much he's hurting without him showing it in the scene where he's talking to his senior staff about what's going to be happening. He dismisses everybody. And as Dax is walking towards him, towards the door, she turns to say something. And before she can even get anything out, he says, dismissed old man. He doesn't even want to hear it from his closest friend. So you can tell that it's killing him inside. Another great scene in that episode. Oh, absolutely. He knows he has to work through that. And Mm -hmm. although Jadzia would, you know, find a way to, to, to help her friend and and say the right thing. He doesn't want to hear the right thing right Mm -hmm. now because he knows that, you know, he's, he's been played. He knows what this all means. He knows that it's torpedoed his relationship with, with Cassidy. He knows that it's, it's put the Starfleet and the Federation in a really bad spot. He knows it's empowered the Maquis. It's potentially changed you know, uh, fundamentally the, the balance of power in that relationship. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a threat to the Cardassians, which means directly it's a threat to the Federation. So, uh, it's more than just Ben was betrayed. It, there's, you know, repercussions for this all throughout that part of the galaxy. Yeah, exactly. Um, one of the things that I wanted to also bring up in this episode that has nothing to do with Cassidy or Cisco or Eddington is the B story, or maybe even the C story, if you think of Cassidy as A, Eddington as B, or vice versa. But the C story in this episode, I thought was a great, um, I don't know, relief from the tension of what was going on in the main story plot, and that's Garrick and ZL. Uh, Yeah. I think that, of course, anything with Andy Robinson in Deep Space Nine is just pure gold, but his relationship with ZL... Um, is really special. And we get to see the beginnings of that with this episode. And they're both nervous. A little sexual tension there, I think. What do you think, Bill? Oh, a little bit. I mean, I get <laughs> I get why she wants to, you know, sort of break the ice with Garrick and spend some time with him. I mean, he is the only other Cardassian on the station. Mm-hmm. She doesn't know much about Cardassia. She can't go there. Yep. Because she'll be shunned because she's part Bajoran and she doesn't really feel at home on Bajor anymore because she looks like a Cardassian. Sure. So she's sort of in this, you know, um, purgatory for want of a better word. And the only other person there who might be able to understand anything of what she's going through is a, an exiled spy. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and I got to say, kudos to the makeup department. Uh, for Deep Space Nine because the subtle differences with Zial being half Bajoran and half Cardassian, the Bajoran ridges along with the, I don't want to sound racist because the, we call them the spoonhead part of the Cardassians was awesome. And I got to tell you, man, I didn't notice that right away when we first saw Zial. It, yeah. it took me a while to notice it and how the females of Cardassia have the, the less pronounced uh, bones in their face. I thought it was great. And and I, I apologize. I don't have the actress's name who played ZL for this episode because it wasn't the same actress for the entire series. I really wish they had kept her the whole time because I loved her in this episode. This is actually the only time Tracy Middendorf plays Tor Zial. Wow. Um, in, in the episodes that we saw her before, it was played by Sia Batten. Mm-hmm. Who we see again in, in other star, in a, like in Enterprise, I believe, and um, she's in um, Indiscretion and Return to Grace, and then in season five's in, in Purgatory Shadow, Melanie Smith, who I think is on Fear the Walking Dead now, oh. uh, assumes the role and then plays it throughout the balance of the series. Yeah. Okay, I uh, I love the scene in the elevator where they're both there with people, so they're okay, and then it's just the two of them, and the way that Andy Robinson just delivers that, and you, my dear 
have nothing to fear from me. It's just the perfect Garrick expression, but he means it. With all the other times he has these expressions, he's being Garrick the spy, Garrick the manipulator. This is true Garrick, and it shines through brilliantly with Andy Robinson, as as anything he does. And I have to correct myself. She's not on Fear the Walking Dead. I had her confused with somebody else. Okay, that's all right. Um, No, I just, I wanted to correct the record. Thank you. Hey, you had the name and I didn't, so... Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this is, this is a one-off for Tracy Middendorf. And you're right. She's fantastic as Zial. Um, I, I wish we had seen more of her, but for some reason, I, I guess uh, maybe they didn't like her in the role or maybe it just didn't work out or that's, yeah. um, it's, it's too bad. Oh. Um, you know, I, I think back to the scene in the, the cave because mm-hmm. there's always caves in Star Trek, right? All or, kinds of caves. I guess, yeah. The, the sauna or the spa or whatever they want to call it. And, um, Cardassians aren't much on decoration <laughs> or comfort. Yeah. Or comfort. Let's <laughs> lay on this rock. <laughs> wearing, wearing a sofa. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And, but they did have a very nice, whatever the, I guess the heater was all nice and had the Cardassian logo on it. That was pretty, that was pretty, uh, pretty nice looking. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that was really great. And the other good thing is at least the rock was kind of at an incline. So you could kind of not be like completely flat, but yeah, no rocks. Case. <laughs> Another good episode you know, between the two, also. Oh, absolutely. I um I think that, you know, I think of other scenes in this episode, and I really love the opening scene, you know, where Cassidy and Cisco wake up and there's, you know, they're they're starting their day, and Cisco refers to himself as a paragon of virtue. <laughs> <laughs> and it does a really good job of establishing the closeness and, and how these two characters relate to one another. And then the scenes with Zial and Garrick establish closeness for those characters. And then the scenes with, you know, Eddington and Cisco establish closeness with those characters. Yeah. There's a lot of really tight interpersonal dynamics here, mm-hmm. you know, that, that really are in play. And I think that that's really the beauty of the script. That first scene that you just mentioned with Cisco and Cassidy, one of the things I love the most about that scene because it shows the it shows the love that Cisco has for Cassidy. Let's not you know let's not lie about it. Is when she ends up leaving, getting up to get ready to go to work, he smells her pillow, throws his away, and grabs hers and wraps himself up in it. That's just that's what a relationship's all about, man. Yeah, no, I agree with you one hundred percent. Yeah. Now, I, I guess originally one of the possible plots for this episode involved a, a potential terrorist bombing of deep space nine. And they were using the Oklahoma city bombing of 1995 as an inspiration for that. Mm. You know, they, they wanted to possibly speculate what might happen if a terrorist attack took place there and who would they immediately suspect? And what happened if that person wound up being Cassidy Yates as the number one suspect? I'm really glad they didn't go that route um, because I, I really think that that wouldn't have allowed for the redemption of Cassidy Yates and, and the resumption of the relationship with Benjamin later on. I agree. And I also like the way that they did this, where Cisco's way off doing something in the Badlands, Eddington's on the station. And as he realizes what's going on, there's a back and forth between the Defiant and the station of what's happening. And it really plays well together. I don't think you would have gotten something like that if it was all station centric. No, not at all. Yeah. Not one bit. I um, yeah. I, this, it's really 
it's hard to talk about this episode in a vacuum in a sense because we know what happens after this. Mm, right. You know, I, we, we know all hell is going to break loose. You got to wonder, hmm, we have our friends over at Mission Log who are watching Deep Space Nine now. I'm going to reach out to one of them or both of them and ask them if they've gotten that, if they've watched it all through, because I want to hear what their initial reaction is if they have not seen the entire series and watched for the cause for the very first time, because then we'll get it from somebody who it's actually happened with. Well, I know they haven't watched it and they're not going to get to this one for 30 years. Um, <laughs> about <laughs> this is season four late in the season. Ugh. They're going to get there two years from now. All right. I'm going to forget about <laughs> it. Then, so never mind. <laughs> I can't even remember your name half the time. Well, I'm sorry. Who is this? What? Huh? <laughs> wow. I. I, I love that this is a Ron Moore episode. Mm-hmm. You can tell it is because there's a lot of wordiness. Um, <laughs> but I think the action moves incredibly well. Um, I, I like the fact that they have to try to concoct a reason to board the Zosa to try to inspect it. And then Cassidy attempts to get out of it. And we both know why, or we all know why. Right. And Ben kind of has to let it happen because he can't, he can't make that one stick. And he knows the opportunity is gone because by the time they come back, you know, they're never going to find what they're looking for because it'll be gone. Right. Absolutely. Can't disagree with that at all, man. Right on the head. Nail. Boom. Head, nail, boom. <laughs> um, as, as we think about the fact that, you know, Eddington steals the replicators and then moves on, we know that this sets up what amounts to an incredible second act. We know that in between now and then Cisco has a lot of time to stew, man. I mean, he he develops what amounts to the unhealthiest of obsessions. Mm-hmm. And that's really kind of putting it mildly, don't you think? Absolutely. I mean, we saw the TOS episode obsession, and that's nothing compared to what we see Cisco going through in for the uniform. He does some things that we're going to talk about next week that are very unstarfleet, very uncharacteristic, and to be frank, very un-Benjamin Sisko. Um, I feel like he's he's kind of keeping it together in this episode because he has to. And by the time we get to next week's discussion, I don't think he can. No. And more importantly, I don't think he wants to. No, I don't think he wants to either. And as a kind of a, a preview, a, a perfect scene that I know we'll discuss is the episode where he's working out with a punching bag and talking to Dax. That's a perfect example of what he's feeling and, and how obsessed he has become with, with this whole Eddington thing. So it's going to be a great talk. Yeah. You know, it's, it's amazing. I, um, it's interesting that they, they chose Eddington, you know, in, in looking at, at some of the memory alpha information before we recorded tonight, I guess the idea of having him join the Maquis goes all the way back to the episode, The Adversary, which is sort of like right in the middle of how many huh. appearances Eddington made. Um, and uh, I'll just, I'll read from the Memory Alpha entry. According to Iris Stephen Bear, the subtext of the scene when Eddington and Cisco discussed rank was that Eddington knew he would never get to wear the red command level uniform. And for the cause explains why. The decision to have Eddington join the Maquis was also prompted by internet rumors that Eddington was a changeling infiltrator. Huh. When the writers heard these rumors, they decided to never make Eddington a changeling, but to instead do something that no one would suspect. So it wasn't even in the cards when they created the character to have this twist, which I think is the beauty mm-hmm. of this series. 
That's that's I did not know that. And I think having him be a changeling would have been a complete knowing what we know now and what happens just wouldn't have worked. I mean, we see that with Martok uh, uh, in in um, uh, season five, season five. I don't, I don't know. They're all mixed together right now. But uh, yeah. So yeah, that wouldn't have been as big a thing, I I, I believe, as this complete shocker and betrayal. Uh, by Eddington on Cisco, because if it was a changeling, it's not betrayal. He's a changeling. This is 100% betrayal and uh, it works perfectly. You know, in, in Eddington's, you know, sort of final conversation with Cisco in this episode, you know, we, we know that deep space nine is darker than next gen. We know that it, it occupies a different space in star Trek than next gen does. Whereas next gen sort of has this sort of idyllic federation where, you know, we always do the right thing. Deep Space Nine always blurred those lines and there was a lot more gray area. Mm-hmm. You know, in in Eddington's final conversation with Cisco, you kind of get the sense that Deep Space Nine really kind of moves away from, from that Federation for really the rest of the series to some extent. You know, because then it becomes embroiled in the Dominion War mm-hmm. and saving the Alpha Quadrant. And it really gets darker faster, I think, you know, rewatching all of this, then maybe I realized when I initially watched Deep Space Nine. That's something I haven't really actually thought of. I'm going to have to, um, when we do the rewatches of these episodes and then I continue on, I'm going to have to keep that in mind to see if I have the same take of it as you do, man. Well, you know, at the end of this episode, Eddington is, is really kind of, you know, he seems annoyed with Starfleet and yeah, the idea of, you know, uh, of, uh, of this beautiful future, mm-hmm. you know, he seems that Starfleet is, has, has sort of ruined everything. And it, it's really kind of surprising that, you know, he would really kind of fall in line with the Maquis, especially knowing that, you know, it was, it was a political decision more than anything. Right. Right. But, you know, the, the thing about Starfleet is, you know, it's, it's paradise for want of a better word. And, and, you know, I think this is nobody leaves paradise, you know, and why, why would they, but he does. Mm-hmm. And that's because he's so turned off by the fact that these colonies were just given to the Cardassians. And I, that's always just made me scratch my head that, that this character in particular couldn't see why, I mean, he didn't have to agree with it, but to, to rebel and to betray the Federation like that is, is really just kind of shocking. I think it could be said of a lot of the characters that we uh, have gotten to know over the course of the Star Trek um, universe. Uh, any of the ones that were, that were Starfleet officers that all of a sudden betrayed Starfleet and joined the McKee. It's, I mean, maybe with Bellana, you can kind of, you know, kind of, yeah, she was kind of a, uh, outcast a little bit and she had kind of a chip on her shoulder, but, um, Chakotay, uh, and well, well, maybe him too. See, now that I'm talking about him, I'm, th- I'm finding reasons why it was okay for them to do it. So yeah, Eddington's was the biggest surprise. Uh, I was going to say Roe, but of course she's Bajoran. So that's certainly not going to be right. a problem. So yeah. Well, and what, what is it that Eddington says, you know, at least the Borg are honest about assimilating you, mm. you know, which leads me to believe that, that, that he feels betrayed by Starfleet. Yeah. Or by the Federation, maybe both. Mm-hmm. And that's really kind of the surprising thing when he throws the Borg in, in Cisco's face. And he he's so disenfranchised and disenchanted with that, you know, that that perfect Federation 
that he's taking these these kinds of actions. And I think that you know that that's really kind of surprising. You know, on one side you have Kira who fought as a terrorist to, you know, get rid of the Cardassian occupation, you know, because they they were horrible. You know, they they pillaged Bajor, they ruined the lives of the Bajorans, they enslaved the population. And Eddington becomes a terrorist simply because he doesn't like how awesome the Federation is. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, this goes to show, I think, in some ways how this type of off-the-wall radical thinking can distort someone's perception. You're actually going to compare the Federation and what they did with a couple of colonies, and it's not right, per se, to the Borg, and you're saying that the Borg are better in that instant? Uh, yeah, that's a little off the wall. Uh, that one's and, – and and you're right. When he throws that at Cisco, it's like, say what? It was That was another strong moment in the episode that to me showed the complete lack of reason that the Maquis would have in the situation. Or in particular, the complete lack of reason that Michael Eddington has. Yes, yeah. Because he, he can't even – you know, address the topic rationally. Right. You know, he can't present his case to Cisco and say, look, you know, I used to believe in this thing. I can't believe in this thing anymore because mm-hmm. of what we did with these people. Right. Chakotay approaches it far more rationally than mm-hmm. Michael Eddington does. Yep. You know, obviously we don't know all of Chakotay's details with the Maquis, but he he doesn't seem nearly as off the wall as Eddington does by a long shot, even when we meet him in the beginning of Voyager. Right. I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. The more I think about the different characters, when I said a minute ago, the more I'm like, no, yeah, they all had reasons. Uh, yeah. And it made sense. But this this one was a complete like, wow, wow moment. Wow. So, I mean, I, we're forced to believe that Michael Eddington is a serious threat, not just to the security of Deep Space Nine and a Bajor, but to the Federation and to Starfleet and possibly to the Cardassians. And I think that that's why Cisco knows by the time for the uniform comes around that he has to stop him because it's just going to escalate. In some ways, this is going to sound really weird and I don't know if I'm going to bring it across correctly, but you look at the size of the Federation and Starfleet and you look at the size of the empire in star Wars. And then you look at the size of the Maquis and then the size of the rebellion. To me, the Maquis is such a smaller group of, of terrorists than we see with what the rebellion is in Star Wars. How could they have been such a big threat that they were made out to be in more than one series? That's something that's crossed my mind from time to time. Yeah, I can understand why you think that. Um, I think it's because we never got a sense of a, a, a you know a sort of central you know, um, guiding force of the Maquis. Mm. You know, they, they, they splintered into groups for a reason and that's, you know, yep. which was explained in TNG. Yeah. But I, I think it, it also, you know, made them less serious of a threat because you were, you know, constantly dealing with, you know, gnats instead of, you know, dealing with, you know, one big hive. True. True. Good. I like that comparison, man. Very well done. Oh, thanks. I just sort of pulled that out, you know, just right out of the top of my head. Okay. Thank you for saying top of your head. Yeah. So I think we have to agree that there's not a bad moment in this episode. No, I don't think there is not a single bad moment. It's, it's one of those episodes that you just, when the, when it fades to commercial, you're like, oh, even if there's no commercials. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, usually when we talk about an episode, there's usually things that we would have liked to have seen them do differently or or that maybe didn't leave us with, you know, the, the the best of, of tastes, but no, everything in this episode works. 
And it's hard to pick, you know, a standout moment because the entire thing from start to finish truly stands out. Yeah, I agree. Um, if you had to have a standout moment, if you were forced with a phaser at your head, what would you pick? Oh man, that's so (laughs) hard. Um, wow. Oh, it's okay. So today, you know, just today, this could change tomorrow. (laughs) This could change a month from now. Okay. But as of right now, today, I'm going to say the, the, the final scene between Cassidy and Benjamin. Okay. You know, she, she's being taken off. Okay. For me, because. Yep. You know, he says, you know, the, the, they essentially say their piece, you know, he says, you know, he knows and, you know, they, they, he says he, he'll be there and she says she'll be back and, you know, they're going to pick up and you know that he understands her role in this and you right. know that there's, you know, there's more, right. You know, this is a, this is a dot, dot, dot and not a period. Sure. And you know that this has, you know, some, a place in Benjamin's heart and, to me right now today, that's, that's really what stands out to me in this episode. Okay. Um, I think, and, and it may be one that a lot of people choose just because of the sheer magnitude of the scene. It's when we find out what Eddington's doing and he stuns Kira, that is just a moment that it's like, it's like the Jem'Hadar ramming the galaxy class starship in the Jem'Hadar episode. It's one of those moments. So that to me is the one that you're like just jumping out of your chairs, pointing at it saying he did what? Uh, it's just awesome. Just love it. <laughs> it really is. You know, um, everybody turns in a great performance. Well, I say everybody. I mean, Alexander Siddig has one line as Bashir in this episode. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Practically. I mean, he, he, I don't think he does anything in this episode um, uh, at all. So um, it, Dax is Dax is great with her uncertainty when mm. with Cisco. Yep. Ken Marshall, man, he... Oh. He kills this episode. He just knocks it out of the park completely. He is the best good guy turned bad guy. Sure. I think in the history of Star Trek. I have to agree with that 100%. He's great. Um, You know, I got to say at first, when he first came on Deep Space Nine, I was a little like, eh, do I like this guy? I grew to like him. I grew to love him. Then I grew to hate loving him. (laughs) (laughs) I I understand, right? I, I get it. Exactly. Well- over the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at the final two chapters in this. I want to call it a battle, but it's really not. It's it's kind of like the ultimate conflict for Ben Sisko. Yeah. You know, he he doesn't really have a nemesis, and I think this is as close to to that as as he gets. You know, um, he he goes on the hunt for Michael Eddington in the next episode, and he's not willing to let anything stand between him and Eddington and I, I we're going to talk a lot about obsession and we're going to have some hard questions next week that's for sure I like it I'm looking forward to it and you can bet that I'll be here talking to you about it my friend I sure hope so Dan the other thing we're going to be here talking about next week when we get to this juncture of next week's episode is five-year mission ah. and how much we love those guys you know year four is dropping in just a couple of weeks oh man oh my god dan oh, my god and we're gonna have brand new five-year mission music and we're gonna be hearing some of that on trek geeks yes we are pretty darn soon so we want everyone to head out to fiveyearmission.net really order your copy now just really just do it you're gonna love the music you're gonna become a huge fan and then when you hear the music on trek geeks you're gonna go oh i know that song and it's awesome really. yeah fiveyearmission.net I love it. I, I I can't believe that we're less than two weeks away now from year four, which is 
just just awesome. And if memory serves, I think a tweet dropped just the other day that they were guests over at our friend Jim Morehouse's Trek Ranks, and they may have had a little uh, year four music in there. We we'll have to check it out. Uh, I'm so psyched. I'm awesome. You know what else I'm psyched about, Bill? I love Deep Space Nine, and I love I, the, I've heard. I've I heard. love the alien races that we see in Deep Space Nine, but none were as brutal and savage as this particular race. They were unlike anything the Federation had ever seen, and they were bred only to play drums. Oh no! Yeah, uh, I know it, it, it's scary. You know they're genetically engineered to obey the Trek geeks without question, which is not a bad thing when you think about it. Their motto, Bill. Drumming is life. It is the order of things. They are. Here it comes. Yeah. The Gem Hafark. Oh. Uh, no? Yeah? I thought, I thought you were going to say it's the tempo of things. <laughs> uh, you don't have to be putting those things in the show now. No. Oh, no. And now that I have a soundboard, it's... Um... <laughs> The gem, the gem Hafark. I yeah. am a gem Hafark. He is a Bill Smith. Is the <laughs> order of things as they are genetically engineered, you know, to obey the Trekkies. Anyway, I was going to say the founder is wise, but in this case, he's really not. <laughs> the founder's got issues. <laughs> a couple, couple. Yeah. So that's fiveyearmission.net. Please download all their music. Uh, we guarantee you're going to love it. Dan, next week, as we talked about just a few moments ago, we're going to continue our look at Cisco versus Eddington mm. with what amounts to an intense middle act. Isn't that correct, sir? Yeah, intense is an understatement. Uh, next week, it's going to be part two of our trifecta as we deep dive into the second Eddington arc, arc, arc episode, which is entitled For the Uniform. Uh, and I don't know about you, Bill, but I've always thought that this second episode was the best of the three. And next week, we're going to break it all down on an all-new episode of Trek Geeks, your independent Star Trek podcast. Well, we don't get echo for podcast, podcast, asked, podcast. Asked, asked. That doesn't sound Whoa. right. <laughs> that doesn't sound right. <laughs> that is, that's going to draw the explicit tag. <laughs> no, no, not really. Not at all. Not and at of all. course, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to head on over to the Tricorder Transmissions online at the tricordertransmissions.com. Yeah, Dan, you know that they have a brand new podcast called Trek Profiles. Did you know oh boy. that they have another new podcast coming soon? I don't have enough room on my Zoom for all these awesome podcasts. Right? They, they keep turning out more and more and more content. They have a weekly Star Trek news show starting up soon with a rotating lineup of hosts on the Tricorder Transmissions Network. Wow. And like all of their other shows, it's going to be fantastic. So that's the TricorderTransmissions.com. And of course, Dan, for all the news on all the Star Trek's yo, please visit our great friends at TrekNews.net. For now, this has been episode 135 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. You know, Bill, in some ways, you're even worse than the coconut. At least the coconut tells you how good it's going to taste. No? Right? Maybe? Um, false. <laughs> <laughs> Yummy!
Bing bong. Hi. Hi, sir. Hello. Hi, Ray. Hi. Ray? What What are you talking about? Isn't that how the jerky boys routine goes? Oh, now you're bringing the jerky boys into the conversation. Well, I mean, that's usually how the hello, sir, comes from. I know that you're a jerk, but I didn't know that we were going to talk about the jerky boys because we could have a whole podcast on the jerky boys. Oh, my God. I need help. Oh, oh boy. Oh, boy. You're actually the one who introduced me to the jerky boys, so we have you to blame. Uh, and, and I will happily take that blame because, oh my God, to this day, they can still make me crack up. And and the guy who plays Saul Rosenberg on The Family Guy is one of the jerky boys. Nice little That's right. Back there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, wait, really guys. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Well, it's, uh, who cares? Yeah, you know, you know, jerky boys aptly named for you and I to be talking about them. So they can get their own podcast. Uh, oh, the jerky boys podcast. Maybe they have one. Ah, that's a good drink. What What are you drinking? I cracked open some Patron tonight, my friend. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so a little Patron margarita with a little pomegranate lemonade thrown into it. Give it a nice little uh, tarty, tangy yumminess taste to it yeah that's what i'm talking about right? ah. tarty tangy yumminess hashtag 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 yeah first mark <laughs> ah i still got this little cough i just don't know what to do <coughs> As i'm you. drinking uh a little bit i have some uh di on the rocks right now di serono well okay i gotta tell you about this this new uh this new drink that uh that i purchased last night we happened to be watching television and there was a commercial for a you ever hear of rum chata um uh, vaguely rum chata it's a rum cream it's very good well (laughs) (laughs) the commercial was for frappe chata because it's rum chata with dark roast coffee blended in oh boy so the commercial ended and I looked at my wife and she had a big smile on her face. So I said, I'll be right back. And I got in my car and drove to the liquor store and bought a bottle. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, this is like a Starbucks Frappuccino with rum. Is essentially what we're talking about here? Pretty much. So I, uh, I got home. I put it in the fridge. I let it chill for a bit. Then poured a couple glasses over ice and mm, 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 boy, oh boy. It's got a nice cinnamon vanilla flavor with that little bit of coffee. And it's only got the amount of caffeine as a decaf cup of coffee. So you can drink it late. And I recommend it. Oh, very nice. Try it out. I may have to try some of that. Of course, they're not paying to sponsor anything on Trek Geek, so thanks for giving them the free ad. <laughs> That's all right. It's worth it when it's, you know, tasty. Of course, I just name dropped DiSerono. <laughs> I could have well, just said Amaretto. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so so my fault, no. Your fault, yes. And uh, we can just continue along and forget about it. Uh, I'm sorry, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> what? Yes, exactly. What? Uh, so I have to say that our... um. Our, our Friday commute lip syncing videos in Camp oh, Kittimer are a big hit. <laughs> <laughs> they are fun. That is for sure. It's fun coming up with what we're going to do for a song, too, actually. Trying to think of ones that work. And they've all worked so far. Well, this was born out of you pretty much literally knowing every dance move of Michael Jackson's and performing <laughs> them from a seated position in a moving vehicle. I probably am one of the best seat dancers out there. If you were to stand me up, I look like a fool. I look like one of those like puppets on the strings, and they just kind of flail around, <laughs> like Jim Carrey and Ace Ventura, those arms swinging around. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we did uh, we did State of Shock with Mick Jagger and the Jacksons. Mm-hmm. Can we do another one? Look at me. Sorry. Uh, we, well, we did Duran uh, Duran. Duran Duran. That was a good one. I enjoyed that one a lot. It was uh, which one was it? Hungry like the wolf. Hungry like the wolf. Mm-hmm. 
And then this past week, we did the classic 70s disco song, Staying Alive from Saturday Night Fever by the Bee Gees. Yes. <laughs> it's just, a, it's just a, you know what? We're going to have to throw it into the the whole uh, join Camp Kittimer part of the commer- of the uh, of how you can get in contact with us because that's where you're going to get the Friday commute celebration. <laughs> wow. That's, uh, if there was ever a fringe benefit, that, um, <laughs> That that really must be it. I gotta say. <laughs> oh, oh, oh! Sorry, sorry. Wow. The answer we were looking for was Ipswich clams. clams. Yes, that's about as old as you are. You know that. I used to work for Hughes and Costanza, but they don't pay me no more. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. That's, for those of you who may not know the reference, that's from the uh, 1987 movie Running Scared with Gregory Hines and Billy Crystal. Not a very big Gregory Hines fan. I got to tell you the truth. I once met him in an airport. Actually, it was Cincinnati. I was uh, this is going back like twenty six, twenty seven years ago. I was uh, headed back to Denver after spending the holidays at home, and I was uh, at a gate, and the airport was pretty dead. I mean, I was on a, a a last flight out to Denver, and the two guys sitting behind me were like, "Hey, hey, that guy, he's been in like movies and stuff." And I look up and Gregory Hines is walking down the hallway. He's like alone. There's nobody else in the hallway. It's just Gregory Hines walking down toward us and he can hear these guys. <laughs> like, I what is what has that guy been in? And Gregory Hines is practically right on top of us. I said, "I don't know." Tap, running scared. <laughs> and Gregory Hines looks at me, points with his finger and thumb and goes, "My man." And keeps walking. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Very good. Uh, what were you doing in Cincinnati? It was a connector from uh, from Boston. Um, I had to stop in Cincy, and and I had to make my way to Denver from there. Okay, all right, well, I, I approve. My man, <laughs> my man. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, Gregory Hines, one of those great talents, just taken far too soon, man. Yeah. What? How long ago did he pass away? Oh wow! Wow, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Jeez, I. I feel like I have to look this up now. Oh, I'll get it before you will. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! Yeah, he will died in 2003, August 9th. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There you go. See? Well, I can't type good, but when I need to, I, I be type good. I be type good. I White Knights, well, that's another great movie. Of course, it's got that terrible Lionel Richie song. <laughs> say um, you, say me. Oh, I think we found our Friday commute. <laughs> It's not a duet, though. Oh, well, we can just, you can just stare lovingly into my eyes as I sing it to you. <laughs> we could, uh, we could pick another Lionel Richie song. Dancing on the ceiling? All night long? All night? I think those are the only ones that he ever did. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> wow. <laughs> we could do Brick House by the Commodores. Very good. Very good. How about We Are the World? Uh, no. Uh, no. <laughs> just I a Lionel Richie song. Part. I really don't like that song though. It's kind of it's kind of um it's kind of worn without its welcome. I don't want to be insulting to the song because it was for a good cause, but it's like it come was, on. But it wore out its welcome about a week into it, let's be honest. <laughs> wow. Okay. Woo. Okay. And nope, complaints nope. can be sent to Bill at <laughs> <laughs> No, that's a podcast at trekgeeks.com. Yeah, so you know, I don't want to be involved in it. I'm part of a podcast. People are gonna complain about you're putting down a American icon song. You uh, you will get copied on all those emails automatically, by the way. So. <laughs> I do. That's true. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so you uh, you ready to do this there? Oh, I've been looking forward to this for several days. Yes, sir. Let's do it. <laughs> Can't wait. All right. Well, wh- what are you doing? That's... <laughs> <laughs>
Let's do it. <laughs> Tito, get me a tissue. Wow. <laughs> Jermaine, stop teasing. Oh my God. That's awesome. all right. I'm quoting Eddie Murphy. Okay. Yes, just you to, are. before we get here, <laughs> I'm not mocking Michael Jackson. I'm mimicking Eddie Murphy's routine where he imitates Michael Jackson. Classic Eddie Murphy. All right. Let's do it. All right.